0: Good morning again Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome Smyrna campus. We're so glad you're with us Those of you that are joining us online, we're happy to have you connecting that way You did it. You started the first Sunday of 2019 in the assembly of God's people, God's church, God's family Let's all give each other some congratulations on that. It's a good way to start Happy New Year to you and uh, I hope it has gotten off to a good start Uh, What I have realized is that at New Year's and at really almost any time in our lives, when we think about how our lives are going, almost always we can think of, if we want to, some things we want to change, some things we want to do better. Uh, You've got to be pretty egotistical to think you don't have any of that in your life, which is something you need to change. You need to repent and and not be so egotistical because all of us have room to grow to improve the, the problem is we, we we start out with good intentions and we try really hard and, and we don't always follow through in fact very rarely do people follow through and we do it with all the good intentions but we we don't tap into the real source of transformation the way we need to and this series that we started last week is called changed and it's about how people's lives changed As a result of encountering Jesus in their lives. You see, He's the real source, the real power for lasting change for the better. Your relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about following the rules legalistically. I'm talking about walking daily with Jesus is what transforms our lives. And so we're going to look at different ones. Last week we looked at Nicodemus and and how he changed from rules to a relationship in his life. And today, we're looking at someone we know mostly as the Apostle Paul, but before that, he was known as Saul. And Saul transformed from antagonist to evangelist. And we're going to go through the process that happened with his life that changed him, that transformed him. Before we do, I wanted to share, I I Googled a bunch of uh, resolution lists for, for this year uh, entering into 2019 and I found one that was pretty consistent with most of them the top 10 resolutions that people were making this year number 10 get more organized and of you have that on your list. Yeah, uh, I don't even put that on my list because I know that's not happening. I, I don't even care if it happens or not. I, 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 I function in chaos the best. That's the way I function so. That wasn't one for me. Number nine, volunteer more or help others more was was number nine. A lot of people have decided, I want to do something, you know, to make a difference in other people's lives. I don't want this year to just be all about me. And and I think, how many of you put that on your list maybe? You're going to volunteer, serve more? Okay. Uh, Number eight, learn something new. Well, That's every day for me. I'm, I'm learning something new all the time. I hope you are too. We need to always be learning uh, we are we're students, lifetime students, uh, as we follow Jesus. We, we should be anyway. Number seven, this is a good one, get out of debt. How many of you put that on the list? If you didn't, you should. Uh, this is one everybody ought to put on the list. Uh, now, it, it, won't, it won't happen with just wishful thinking. Boy, I sure wish I could win the lottery. I'd be out of debt, right? Uh, most of you aren't going to win the lottery, so there's got to be some other plan beyond that. So, so it's good to have it on the list, but you actually have to have a plan on how that's going to happen. Uh, number six, quit drinking. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on that one. I don't want anybody, you know, pointing or anybody, you know, nudging somebody beside you. Quit drinking. Uh, alcohol abuse is still the number one drug, drug problem in our country by far. Uh, still, the one that causes more heartache, more destruction, more pain than any other addiction in our country. Now, there are other things that are hard and bad, but that's the number one in our country. So, that's a good one for a lot of people to have on the list. Number five, enjoy life more. How many of you put that on the list? I'm just going to try to enjoy the moment more, be in the moment. Uh, that ought to be on our list, too. We ought to see God gave us everything it says in Scripture for our enjoyment. That's what God wants for us. In our lives, He wants us to enjoy life, and that doesn't mean everything's good all the time. But we learn to have joy even when things aren't always good. All right, here's another one. Uh, a lot of people do this. Uh, New Year's is a big time for it. Number four: quit smoking. Uh, That's a battle for a lot of people for some people it's easy They put down the cigarettes and walk away and never bothers them again, but it doesn't happen that way for most people So so that's a good goal to have we've seen studies that show that's one of the greatest things you could do for your health If you have been a smoker is to stop smoking It's one of the best things you could do to to be to have a, a better life and a longer life number four I mean number three uh, these are all, these these top ones here are tied in or, or relate to each other. Number four, I mean number three, is lose weight. Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, but for a lot of people losing weight, the first of the year is a time they decide, I'm going to get on this program or start this this new program to lose weight. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to get the pounds off, and I'm going to keep them off this year, uh, just like you've done 12 times before, right? Right. Uh, Well, you've lost weight, gained it back, lost weight, gained it back. So this is something, too, that involves more than just a, it's not just a diet that this is about. This is about lifestyle change if you want it to be a lasting change. Well, the uh, number two is connected to that one, and that is get fit. So so if you're overweight, uh, and obesity is a huge problem in our country, (laughs) pun intended, Uh, but... uh, But getting fit is closely related to people thinking about losing weight and quitting smoking. And they're trying to think about how can I be healthier this year? And getting fit is a part of that. And again, you got to start where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. you got to start there and start the process that it takes to get fit. The thing with getting fit is there's no quick, easy way to do that. It's an ongoing, long-term, life-change process that happens with that. There's no quick way to get fit. So that's why a lot of people give up on the process. The number one this year surprised me a little bit, but I love it. I think it's a really good one. The number one resolution was spend more time with family and friends. You talking about enjoying life more? That's a good step to take, isn't it? Spend more time with family and friends. And they don't mean sitting in the same room looking at your screen together. That, that doesn't count as actually spending time with them. Talking to them, interacting with them, doing things with them. All of those are really good resolutions. And God, I think, would be pleased with any of those, all of those, if, if that were to happen in our lives. And you may name some others that you have thought about going into this new year that you want to do. You want to see change in your life. Some of them are even more serious, though. And some people have major, major life situations that they want to change to see transformed this year and maybe you're one of those people and if you could pick anybody in scripture who had something major uh, radical going on that God would want him to change in his life you could pick Saul as one of the top ones for sure Saul is a is an interesting character I love I've studied the life of Saul Many times in Scripture and uh, in college, we had to study, uh, in our study of Acts, we studied all of his missionary journeys and all of that. But his transformation is one of the most dramatic in all of history. And to me, it's one of the most convincing proofs of the reality of the risen Lord, is how Saul was changed by his his encounter with Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at (coughs) several things in Saul's life. We're going to look at Saul before he changed, we're going to look at how he changed, and then we're going to look at the results of the change. So number one on your outline is this. I've called it Saul BC, Saul BC. And a lot of people, when they say BC, they think it means what? Before Christ, right? Before Christ, and, and that's kind of what BC means in our dating system, uh, though it's really worded differently, but, but we, we've associated it with before Christ, and that's... That's not the case with Saul that we're talking about here. Christ had already come when we pick up with Saul's life. He had already gone to the cross. He had already been in the tomb. He had already resurrected before Saul comes on the scene. So this is not actually before Christ. The B.C. here means before change. Before Saul changed. Let's look at his life before he was transformed. In Acts 22 and verse 3, we have a summary from Paul himself from Saul himself who tells about his life here's what he says I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia but brought up in this city you see in Jerusalem when he's talking about this I studied under Gamaliel I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today now he's defending himself, he's being questioned uh, because of his preaching of the gospel at this time, this is after changes occurred, but, but he's telling us his history. He wants the people he's talking to to know, I was where a lot of you are. I, I was that person. In fact, maybe more so than almost anybody in the audience that he was talking to, I was that person. Uh, I love what he says. I was born in Tarsus, so he's got uh, that, that place of birth. But he says, "Well, I was brought up, though, and I studied under one of the greatest teachers of their day. We have records of this teacher outside of Scripture as one of the most noted teachers of that day, of, of the Jewish teachings, of the Jewish law. He was one of the most respected of that day. In other words, he had one of the best educations any Jewish young man could have ever hoped to have growing up. He had that advantage. A lot of people grow up without that advantage. And and sometimes we use that as an excuse for not accomplishing or achieving what what God wants us to do with our lives. But, But Paul didn't have that excuse. He had one of the best educations you could possibly get along the way. Now, he's saying that for two reasons. One is he wants them to know, I know the law as well as any of you in this room. I know what God's law says. I know it inside and out. And he also wants them to know, I am a very well-educated person. Remember last week we talked about how they ridiculed Nicodemus as if you follow Jesus, you must not be very intelligent. You must not be very smart. You see, Saul understands that's how some people are trying to attack Christianity. So he says, I want you to know, you can't use that one on me. I have one of the best educations that anybody in our country could possibly have. So he's laying that foundation, laying that groundwork. You can't say I, I've just been duped into believing something because I'm not very smart. Okay. And then he says, though I was thoroughly trained in the law, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. That word zealous is, uh, is today used more in a positive way than it was then. Uh, we say, be zealous for everything that's good, and that's good. That's a, that's a good way to use the word. Be excited, be committed, be, be, uh, be willing to, to do what it takes to promote that, those good things. It's being zealous for good is a good thing. But we, in uh, and, and their culture, they had a word that comes from the root for the word zeal, the word uh, zeal, and it's the word zealot. And remember, one of Jesus' 12 that he had picked as his disciples was Simon the what? Zealot. He was one of the original 12. Zealots, though, were not known for just being excited in a positive way for good things. Zealots were radical militants in that day. Uh, It wasn't just zeal of excitement. It was passion at such a level that you will do anything, even breaking the law, for what you believe in what you believe the cause if the cause is justified in your eyes you would go to whatever extreme it takes Uh, we might use the words today religious fanatic that would be kind of comparable to zealot or we might say like with Islam we use the term radical Islam right to talk about those who will who will go kill other people in the name of their religion that's what this word zealot meant which gives us a good insight into just how powerful God's ability to transform people really is. Jesus handpicked a zealot to come and be one of his disciples. Yet he didn't promote criminal activity in following Jesus. And, and Saul is saying, I was just as radically committed to God's law and I had a great education and knowledge of it. And I was willing to do anything to defend it. When he says I was zealous for God, that's what he means. I was willing to do anything I thought supported the cause that I believed in. Even if it hurt other people in the process. I was more than willing to do it. You've got to understand where Saul was in his life. Our first introduction of Saul in Scripture is at the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. In Acts 7, verse 58, speaking of Stephen, he had been on trial, and it says, They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named who? Saul. That's the first time we hear about Saul in Scripture. He was there. And as much as we want to think maybe he was just on the sidelines holding people's coats, that's not what the original language means here. I've heard preachers even say uh, he was a young man, which means he was probably just a kid when this happened. That's not what the word is used here. It doesn't mean a kid. It means he was a young adult already when he was standing there holding the coats. And the indication is he was there supporting and participating in The stoning of Stephen he was fully supportive of what was going on cheering it on happy to see it happen Stephen is being killed simply because he's chosen to follow Jesus and speak out for Jesus and they literally are taking rocks and throwing them at him in the middle of a circle until he is pounded to death. And Saul's right there. Saying, good job guys. That's exactly what needed to happen. You see, as a young adult male, he's decided that what he believed in about Christianity and about Judaism. Was that Christianity was such a threat to Judaism that it needed to be stopped at all costs. Even if it meant killing these people to stop it. Now, as much as we don't experience that in the United States, that's still happening in many other parts of the world today. It's happening in some communist countries. China is now destroying churches and arresting Christians. It's happening in Islamic countries where they won't allow anyone to follow anything but Islam. Or they consider them infidels. And they should be arrested and often killed. And that's where Saul was in his thinking. That's where Saul was in his determination to wipe out Christianity, to wipe it off the face of the earth. His mission was to destroy the movement of Christ followers. He arrested, it says in Scripture, both men and women. He had them in prison. He had them tortured to get a confession. He sanctioned their execution. He confesses that this was his obsession in his life. It's all he lived for and thought about. Was wiping out these followers of this Jesus. And he was greatly feared by the whole church. You say the name of Saul in any setting where Christians were there. And it brought terror to them. To hear the name of Saul. That's where Saul was. B.C. Before any change occurred in his life. So if there's anybody here that feel, feels like you're far from Christ, maybe there's too much distance between and separation between, or you've got a son or a daughter that you feel like has gone away off so far from God that they can't come back, or you've got a friend or a coworker or a boss that you think that guy can never change, pay attention to this story. Because no matter how far they were or are right now, no one was further from following Christ than Saul was. At this point in his life. And yet he was radically transformed. By his encounter with Jesus. That's the second thing I want us to see here is Saul's change. We saw in B.C. before the change. But let's see the change itself. It's recorded in Acts 9 as well as Acts 22. Let's look at Acts 9 beginning with verse 1. It's the uh, actual account of his change for the first time. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked, for him, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's got a plan. He's heard that there are Christ followers in the city of Damascus. So he went to the high priest. He didn't have the authority to do this on his own. He had to get it from the high priest. He got orders from the high priest, papers that allowed him to go into the city and make arrest of anybody he deemed needing to be arrested. And so he's got official sanction now to go to that city and make these arrests. His intent was anybody that claimed to be following Jesus, anybody associated with Jesus, he would, he would find them, hunt them down, and arrest them and take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. says in verse 3, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Can you imagine what's going through Saul's mind at that point? You see, in Saul's mind, where was Jesus? Dead. In the grave. Or maybe the disciples stole his body or whatever, but but he's dead for sure. He probably was very well aware, maybe even an eyewitness to the crucifixion itself. He knew this guy had been killed. And yet he hears this voice, he sees this light, he's struck blind, and, and he's hearing the voice of someone saying, I'm Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. Now, he didn't think he was persecuting Jesus. That wasn't in his mind. Who did he think he was persecuting? People who were deluded into believing in Jesus. But Jesus says, no, you're persecuting me when you do what you're doing. And he had to be thinking, is it even remotely possible that this guy really did rise from the dead? You see, that's what his followers had been saying. That's what what they had been being arrested for, and being executed for, was saying that Jesus was alive, and that He's Lord, and that He's the Messiah. That's, that's what the whole uproar was all about. And now He comes face to face with the possibility. Could it be true that Jesus did rise from the dead, that He's alive, that He's Lord and Messiah? It says in verse 7, The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless, They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul decided to start fasting. He was so shaken by this. He was so moved by this. That he thought, what I need to do here in response is fast and pray. We know later on in these verses it tells us he prayed and he fasted for three straight days. Didn't eat or drink anything for three days. And then I love, I love how in Scripture you miss it sometimes. You miss the humor in Scripture. There is a humorous twist in this story right about now. (laughs) You got to think about how, how funny this is really look, look it begins in verse 10 in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias okay so Ananias probably either lived there or was there for for an extended visit uh, but he, he's in Damascus the word means he's, he's staying there he's there for a while so maybe he lived there and that's the city where Saul was going and and most likely it says he was a disciple, which means when he heard about Saul coming there, what was his response? He's probably in hiding for fear of his life. He's probably trying to get word out to other disciples. That guy named Saul's on the way here, and he's coming here to arrest Christians, and we've got to hide, we've got to be careful, we can't let word get out, we can't be exposed. He's probably doing everything he can to keep everybody safe. And here's the funny part. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, "Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street." I love that in scripture. Do you know we actually have record of a street named Straight Street in Damascus? Isn't that cool? My guess is it was straight. <laughs> or maybe it was really crooked and they had fun with it, right? I don't know which. Uh. It's kind of like calling that really big guy tiny, you know? It could be that. I don't know. He says, go uh, to a house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named, who? Saul. For he is, what? Praying. So Saul is not only fasting, he's also praying. See, he had prayed his whole life. He followed the law as, you know, three times a day he spent time in prayer. He he probably prayed even more than that. He had the ceremonial prayers that he would do. He was a praying man already. But from a very legalistic standpoint, I doubt that his prayer was very legalistic at this point. Most likely it's just a cry of anguish and confusion at this point. Verse 12, in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So God has already allowed Saul to see in a vision that this guy named Ananias, he even knows his name, is going to come see him and give him back his sight. So he's got some hope here. He's been praying to God, trying to find out what's going on. And God allows him to see a little hope that somebody's going to come and give him back his sight. Verse 13, I love this, because Ananias seems to think he's got to clarify some things for God. Right? Not that we would ever do that, but here's what he would do. All right, verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And now he wants to be sure God knows why Saul was going to Damascus. So he clears it up for him. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. God, you obviously didn't know that. You obviously didn't understand what's going on here. You know, and now that you know that, obviously, you're not going to ask me to go see this guy, right? I mean, now that I've clarified this for you, now that I've explained to you why that shouldn't be what you want me to do, Surely now you'll give me some different instructions. And it won't be that I need to go see this guy. Because the last thing Ananias would want to do is go see the guy who's come there to arrest Christians. And expose himself that way. Well, the Lord said to Ananias, no, go. He didn't, he didn't uh, bargain with him. He didn't negotiate with him. He just said, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much you must suffer for my name. Now, we don't have, I'm sure, every word that was spoken, but we've got a record here of the things that that have been preserved for us. And Ananias decided to be obedient. I love that, that this guy, even knowing the danger, even understanding that, that this is risky, he knew that if God said to go, what are you supposed to do? Go. And even when you explain to him why you shouldn't go, if he still says go, what should you do? Go. Yeah, that's what we all need to learn that lesson, don't we? It says, verse 17, Ananias went to the house and entered it. uh, And and, uh, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here? More confirmation for Saul that it was actually Jesus who appeared to him, right? He wanted Saul to know for sure that really was Jesus that appeared to him there. Because that would be hard to believe, right? If you've seen a guy die, to believe that he's he's alive and he appeared to you on the road. That would be hard to accept. But he's making sure Saul knows without any question that it was Jesus. So he put his hands on him and he said, This Jesus, right, that, that appeared to you on the road. He sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it says, immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was what? Baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. So here he was, he had spent three days fasting and praying. Then somebody comes to him and says, Jesus sent me here. And he gives him back his sight in the name of Jesus. And and he he gets up and he's commanded to be baptized and he gets baptized. Friends, this is one of the most radical transformations you could ever, ever see or hear about. You see, it's not easy to humble ourselves and admit our mistakes, is it? It's not easy to admit what I was giving my whole life to was wrong. What I believed and what I was practicing and what I was doing, all of it was wrong. It takes a lot of humility to come to that place, doesn't it? It reminds me of a lady and her friend. They went to visit another friend out of town about 40 miles away. They drove and went in and had a good visit with their other friend. And they came back out only to find that they had locked the keys in the car. I thought, oh, no, what are we going to do? I thought, well, we could break the window, you know, we could try to force a hanger through and try to get it unlocked, but it might mess up the window. Uh, the wife knew, oh, goodness, my, my husband's got another set of keys. As hard as it is for me, I'm going to have to call him and ask him to come unlock the car. That'll be the best solution. So she called her husband, who was in an important meeting at work, and he said, oh, okay, I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'll, I'll come on over and bring the other set of keys and unlock the the car for you about 15 minutes after they've been waiting for him to get there her friend noticed and checked and the back door was unlocked she said to her friend your husband is already on the way what are you going to do she says I'll do what any red-blooded American wife will do she opened that door that was unlocked she locked it slammed it shut (laughs) left the keys in the car <laughs> it's hard to admit when you messed up, isn't it? It's hard to humble yourself, confess your shortcomings. She'd already had to humble herself and said, I locked the keys in the car. That was enough. She wasn't about to let her husband get there and the car be unlocked already. You see, this transformation for Saul was amazing. And Saul's recounting of his transformation in Acts 22, he recounts this. And he says in verse 16, that after he got his sight back, Ananias said to him, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. He's had... Light flashed in front of him that was so bright it blinded him. He's had, he's had to be led into the city by somebody else. He's had to be told that this was a miraculous appearance of the risen Lord already. He spent three days fasting and praying. And what does Ananias still say he needs to do? Arise and get baptized. For the purpose of washing his sins away. I'm convinced that one of the reasons God connects baptism with salvation... It's because you've got to humble yourself completely to allow yourself to be baptized into Christ. You've got to get your pride out of the way. You've got to let go of all your arguments and reasons. See, Saul could have said, I don't think I need to get baptized. I've been praying and fasting already. Right? I said the prayer. I already am sorry for what I did wrong. Why do I need to get baptized? He could have argued about it like a lot of people do in churches today, couldn't he? But instead of arguing about it, what did he do? He just humbled himself and did it because he was commanded to do it. And he knew the command was coming from the Lord. There are a lot of people in our sitting in churches today who still haven't been baptized. And there's only really one reason not to do it. That is not to humble yourself enough to be willing to be obedient. But humility is the key to being transformed. You see, nothing will change until you confess that you need change. And nothing can be changed by Jesus until you surrender to the fact that you need Him to change you. See, I'm convinced that's why God commanded baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. Because you can't be baptized properly without confessing, I need what only Jesus can do for me. And that's why I'm going to surrender to this act of being baptized. You see, Paul, Saul went from being proud to being humble. He went from being confident in himself to being confused. He went from giving orders to taking orders. He went from being whole to being afflicted, from being a leader to being a follower, from being a merciless judge of others to admitting his own sinfulness and need for a Savior. That's radical transformation. But that's exactly what God specializes in. Radical transformation. And that's what he wants to do for you. So let's pick up number three here in closing with Saul AC. I'm not talking about ACDC here. This is different. all right. AC is after change. Saul after change. Look at verse 19 where Saul is recounting all of this. I mean, in Acts 9 where we have the account of, of his being baptized. It says in verse 19... After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Is it he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? It says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. (laughs) some people would have looked at Saul and said, it'll take an act of God to change that man. And God said, okay. I can do that. I can do that. And how do we know Saul was changed? That he really was, for real, changed. The evidence is in the changed life that he began to live. Instead of now being an antagonist of the church, what has he become? One of the greatest evangelists of all time in the history of the church. And I would love to be able to say, and that's the end of the story. That's it. But that's not it. See, here's what you have to know about being radically changed for Jesus. It doesn't mean everything from that point on is going to go well. It doesn't mean that everything in your life now is going to be smooth and easy And good it does not mean that and I still cringe every time I hear pastors get up and tell people just come follow Jesus and you're gonna have health wealth and happiness the rest of your life because that's not the scriptures I read that's not the example that I see think about Saul as an example of that it didn't all go well with him Yes, he grew in power. Yes, he was a great evangelist. Yes, he was changing lives. But, but from the very beginning, even the Christians were still afraid of him. Wouldn't you be? I mean, what would be the greatest espionage you could do? To act like you're a Christian, to get on the inside and find out who the other Christians are so you could do what? So you could arrest them. Put them in prison, have them killed. I mean, wouldn't that have been... Man, one of the most genius things to do if you wanted to uncover Christians. And Christians were suspicious of the Saul guy. Is it real? Did he really change? And, and he had a hard time. Now, his own people are rejecting him that he had his friends before this, right? Because if you're a zealot, who are most of your friends going to be? Zealots. Enthusiastically opposed to to Christianity. That, That was his circle of friends. So now they cut him off. And now the people that he says he's going to be with are suspicious of him. Things don't go all that well for Saul right at first. He doesn't have hardly any friends at first who come alongside him. But I love how God always provides. And in Scripture we find that God provided a guy named Barnabas to help Saul you know what Barnabas name means son of encouragement son of encouragement when you got everybody turned their back on you what do you need more than anything else you need encouragement and God provided Barnabas for Saul to be that encourager for him And so Barnabas came alongside him and defended him with the other apostles and and said that he's obviously really changed. I've been an eyewitness to it. I've been living with this guy, walking with this guy, serving with this guy. He's, He's the real deal. And he needed somebody to do that for him. And Barnabas was provided for that. And I love, in the book of Acts, as Saul continued to preach and teach and travel with Barnabas, and Barnabas helped him a lot. It says in Acts eleven twenty six 26 that, that in Antioch, Barnabas was serving there, in the church there, and they sent him out to find Saul. It says in Acts eleven twenty six 26, when he found him, he brought him to where? Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first, where? In Antioch, yeah. I love that. It's not this Antioch. We know that. (laughs) I love that connection. You see, God provided the encouragement that he needed. And friends, if you're going to radically change to start following Jesus, here's one of the key steps you need to take. You need to connect with some other followers of Jesus who will come alongside you and support you and encourage you. Because if you don't, the enemy is going to be too strong for you. And he's going to keep tearing you down and discouraging you and keeping you from following through on the life that God wants for you. Because he did not say, come and follow me and everything will be good. He said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So we need to come alongside each other and encourage each other. And that's what the church is all about. That's why being connected to a local church is one of the most important and best steps you can possibly take in your walk with Christ. For the transformation to occur in your life that God wants to have occur in your life. To try to do this without that connection is one of the most risky things you could possibly do in your Christian life. You start with committing to Christ, yes. But in committing to follow Christ, you connect with His family, His church as a step that is important you see Paul Saul later changed his name to Paul and he became a great missionary for Christ but it didn't happen all at once the transformation of lasting change is a process it's a process for you it's a process for me everybody whose life is changed by Jesus it doesn't just happen all at once so many churches emphasize, I got to get you to, to accept Christ and, and, and maybe get baptized to show that you accepted Christ as their mindset. And then we got you now and that's it. That's not it. That's the beginning of the transformation. See, when Saul was baptized, that was just the beginning. That's the new birth. And then you grow up after that and you learn, you grow and you change after that. That's why staying connected and involved is so important. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts chapter 2, we find the first people who came to Christ. Peter preached that sermon, remember? They asked what they needed to do. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It says 3,000 of them were baptized that day. They, they started that new life, but, but what happened after that? In Acts 2 and verse 42, it tells us a summary of what they did. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. To breaking of bread into prayer. If you want your life change, transformation, for the good, to last. There are no better four things to be committed to than these four things. That these first Christians were devoted to. Maybe today you need to make a devotion. A step of devotion to these things. It starts with being devoted to Christ. And then it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That means a study of the Word of God. Become a student of Scripture. If you want your life to change and you want that change to last, you have to consistently be in the Word. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That fellowship is connecting to the family of God, the church. If you don't take that step of commitment, it's not going to last the way you want it to last. You need to surround yourself with others who are on this journey with you and connect with them on a personal level. That happens through the local church. It says they were devoted to the apostles teaching the fellowship to the breaking of bread. Another reason to be connected to the local church is because the breaking of bread was what the early church did when they came around the Lord's table. It says they met on the first day of the week. Why primarily? To break bread. To come around the Lord's table. Why is that such a big deal? You know why? Because we all need to be reminded every week of how much God loves us and what He did for us. And that's what we do around this table every Lord's Day. And the more we are reminded of that, the more it sticks during the week when we're fighting all those battles that we have to fight. And it says they were devoted to prayer. They made prayer a primary part of their lives. It wasn't just when things happen and they panic that they would go to God in prayer. They were a praying people. And prayer keeps you connected to the source of your power. You see, your change won't last in your own strength. It will only last in staying connected to the power that changes lives radically and dramatically. And you do that through prayer. Let's pray together right now. Father, Father, we thank you that today, today we've seen a radical life transformation as we've looked at Saul's life. And Father, we know He was as far from following Jesus as anybody could possibly have been. And yet, you were able to change him. If there's anybody here today that's right now not where they need to be with you, they're never too far away for you to change that. You are here. Your spirit is at work. Your your power is present. And you can transform any life right here, right now. Anybody hearing this message, hearing this word, right now you can transform their lives too. But it requires that they humble themselves and come willing to obey what you're calling them to do. Father, we pray if there's anyone who needs to take that step that this would be the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.